This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. It's the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Today, it's an all-pet day here on Creature Comfort, so the doors to our pet hospital are wide open. We welcome all your pet questions from the big to the small. Do you have a cat or dog at home, or maybe both? What about questions about exotic pets like rabbits, snakes, or ferrets? Don't hesitate to join our conversation with your call or email. Also, if you've had any general wildlife experiences, we always like to hear those, so please call and share with us. The number to join our conversation this morning, it's one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday mornings at six. So good morning. Hope everyone's doing well this morning. Good morning. Thanks for going. Good morning. Good. A reminder that the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science is now open. It opened last Monday, but there are new safety guidelines in place. You must wear a mask, and timed arrival reservations are required to visit the museum. If you'd like some more information, you can call the museum at 601-576-6000 or visit mdwfp.com slash museum. So me- Kevin, I just add that um, the monster fish exhibit from National Geographic is open there. Okay. So you can see models of monster giant fish uh, from around the world, and they're um, all freshwater fish. So this is not the big sharks. This is more like the great big catfish is one of them that's real cool. So they're from rivers from around the world, and National Geographic has uh, kind of done a study in search of what are the largest river fish in the world. And so these are models of those fish. So they're pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Uh, Dr. Major, if you don't mind, I'd like to jump right into Pet Day with a question about my cat. And that is on his front paw, one of the claws seems to be sharper, longer than all the others. And he's tending to get it like stuck in a blanket or something. And uh, a lot of times he's pulling away and I'm I'm worried he's going to do something to his nail there is is he smart enough to know to figure out how to extricate himself from that and not do any damage right does he, does he use the scratching post well i used to have one and he decided that after he used it as a scratching post for a long time he started using it as his litter box so i've gotten away from that but i have given up a corner of the carpet in my bedroom uh, to his natural scratching post so he does use that quite frequently right and you know certainly uh just uh Carpet samples a lot of times with the rough side up, uh, you can get those, and that can be a, a big thing for cats. They like to do that. Uh, I would suggest, uh, if you can, to take nail trimmers and trim the, the points off of that, that nail, especially if he's hanging it uh, or other things. Uh, I'm a little worried about that with the quick. So I was thinking, uh, would a nail file maybe to kind of blunt the nail, Did that? would you think that might work? That helps if he'll let you do it, yes. Uh, and if you look at a cat's claw, there's a hook, if you will, they mm-hmm. kind of hook. Don't get too close to the fat part of the nail, but you could take off some of the tip without getting the quick. So, uh, and a nail file, if he'll let you do it, you could file it down some. Cats shed those claws, and that's the reason they need a place to scratch. Uh, 
and uh, call it a scratching post or whatever. Sometimes it's the uh, uh, <laughs> the sheetrock or uh, wallpaper or whatever they can get a hold of. But uh, they have this urge to scratch, and it does. They will shed uh, the hull of that claw, and uh, but you can you can trim them back some, which might be a good thing. Uh, what if you, you bring him to the clinic, I'll show you how to do it. All right. What What about uh, just naturally him running around? Would it eventually maybe uh, dull that way just through sort of his everyday running around the house? It might, but for some reason, this you said it's just one nail? Yeah, it seems to uh, be. And uh, maybe he's not scratching. You said he's scratching the carpet, but maybe he's not getting it with that nail. So uh, it may be that it's a little misshapen or something like that. I don't know. Remind me to look at it when you bring him in some other time, okay? All right. But if you can take the point of that off, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Uh, let's do this. We've got an early caller on the line, so let's uh, bring in Marion from Biloxi into our conversation. You're on the air with us. Go ahead, please. I have a domestic cat that does go in and out the house, and she, I've been told by several vets, is allergic to mosquitoes. And her ears are raw, and I always would wash it and put triple antibiotic ointment or vaccination ointment on it. And they told me to put hydrocortisone cream on it. And it does, nothing seems to help. And she's miserable. And of course, it's a fight to get her and she scratches me to do it. I understand. So I don't know what else to do with her. <laughs> and we do, we do see that though. Mosquitoes, some cats are very sensitive to mosquitoes. Uh, is her nose affected? The bridge of her nose yeah, affected as well? Yeah, her nose will get it too. Right, right. Uh, there should be a repellent that's available. Uh, I can't think of the name of it right now. Dogs, for example, have real problems outside dogs with that erect, if they have an erect ear, an ear that stands uh -huh. up. This time of year, uh -huh. flies and mosquitoes will bite that. You'll see the tips of their ears actually have bleeding sometimes and of course the yes. flies or mosquitoes come back to feed on that okay. uh, what what do you have for flea and tick control for her are you using something uh, like uh, revolution revolution and that should help some uh, but at the same time very difficult to keep the mosquitoes this time of year away from this cat's head uh, sometimes steroids will help you know with the immediate signs of it uh, uh -huh. But uh, if you can continue to put uh, medication on her ears, it'll make it less desirable for the mosquitoes. Okay. Okay. I don't have. A, you right. don't want to do anything to hurt the cat. That's the problem. No. And no. We can't. We can't use the same thing on the cat that we might use on a dog. Okay. So okay. Can, and repellent. If you can, you know, some people use uh, different types of repellents, natural repellents. There may be something right. available that can help there. Okay. So something that I can use, like, on a toddler that would be safe on a toddler, I might be able to put some on sure. the cat's ear? Yes. Uh, I okay. was thinking in terms of, uh, you know, I can't think of the name right now, but there's some different plants, citronella-type plants. Okay. Uh, okay. There are others that can can help with repelling, okay? All right. Good luck Thank to you. you. Hope, hope that okay. helps. Bye. Thanks for your call, Marion. Uh, eucalyptus, I think, was what maybe you're trying to come up with, Doctor Major. I've heard that lemon eucalyptus is a natural uh, um, that, mosquito that repellent. Can help. You don't want to overdo it either. 
on the cat because the cats are going to groom themselves, and regardless of what you put on them, they're going to use their little paw and then lick that. So you don't want anything that's toxic to the cat. Uh, Here's an email that uh, Libby and Dr. Major might be able to weigh in on, and it says, what's the best way to kill yellow jackets? Gasoline, dry ice, wasp spray, bleach, and ammonia? Some other way? Libby, let's start with you. Do you have any thoughts on yellow jacket control? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm assuming that he's found a nest in the ground, they say, in gasoline things. But I would think avoid the gasoline, especially if it's anywhere close to your house. That just sounds like a bad idea to me all the way around. And, um, yeah, um, I just avoid the area when it's a yellow jacket. But if it's really close to your house, I guess the best thing to do would be maybe uh, one of the wasp sprays something like that. And um, I think if you spray that at night while the yellow jackets are all in the nest, that's the way to deal with it. Troy, have you heard about that same kind of thing or have you got another idea? Well, trust me, I've had encounters with yellow jackets. Usually it's when you're mowing the yard, you know, you you go over the nest the first time, it's okay. You go back around on another round and they're waiting for you and understandably so. I would suggest using one of the sprays like you were talking about, uh, wasp or hornet, hornet sprays, and identify the hole first before you start doing this. And uh, I think you could do better at night with that. But no, don't use gasoline. There have been some accidents where somebody's burned the house down or burned themselves trying to uh, uh, eliminate that sort of thing. Also, a coworker here suggests that possums are good at digging up yellow jacket nests. So maybe get a pet possum. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Avoiding the area until nature takes care of it is really the best way to deal with it if you can. All right. Uh, it is time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll be looking for your pet questions for Dr. Major. Also, we look for your brushes with nature. Call with your questions and comments. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Back with more, so stay tuned. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield. Today we're taking your pet questions and talking about your brushes with nature. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Got a couple more emails to get to, but first, let me. Uh, what's uh, what's active in your yard, uh, birds and otherwise? Um, I've enjoyed finding shed skins from snakes lately. Uh-huh. I found several, and I thought uh, listeners might enjoy finding those too. Uh, one neat thing there, you, if you find one that's intact at all, you can kind of do a little sleuthing with your kids and um, detect a little bit about the snake. Of course, you can tell about the size. By getting it so you can measure it and do those kinds of things the shed skin is a little larger than the snake would be because he stretches it when he's pulling out of it but uh, one interesting thing is you can see if it was a venomous or a non-venomous snake by uh, laying down the the shed skin and looking at the bottom and the, the the last scales on the tail there after its vent 
if it's a poisonous snake or a venomous snake, they're going to be just one one solid scale all the way across the tail there on the bottom. And if it's a, a non-venomous snake, it'll be divided into two. So there'll be a line and then two scales coming in on each side of it. And uh, that's kind of fun to do. Uh, the only time that wouldn't work is if it's a coral snake, because coral snake tail is going to look like a non uh, like a non-venomous as well but anyway it's just a little bit of fun and usually you can see where the eyes even shed off those usually come off pretty strong the scales over the eyes but it's just a fun thing to find in your yard and um i think kids would enjoy it we used to use shed snake skins at the museum a good bit with kids yeah it seems like a, a little bit of a safer way to maybe learn <laughs> more about snakes i think a lot of people would be very reluctant to go up to a snake skin when it's still in its skin and and do that but it would be fun to examine that uh, that shedded skin that's for sure yeah and i wouldn't advise you get too close to a a wild snake to look at his skin too much when he's still got it yeah before he shed it all right uh here is a kitten email for dr major and it says our 12 week old kitten has no meow even though he tries just a raspy hiss like sound comes out he was rescued from a litter of neglected outside kittens, so I don't have a history. A vet visit is scheduled, but wondering your opinion. Okay. Uh, sometimes we have cats that, you know, you think, hey, this cat's not going to meow. It's going to be very quiet. It's going to be a good pet here. But most of the time they will develop a meow. I'm not sure exactly why this kitten is not at this point, but quite a few uh, young cats, I won't say they have to learn how to meow. Uh, we probably meow to our cat. I don't know how many of y'all do that, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do, and uh, they answer back. So I would say that uh, it'd be unusual if this cat uh, kitten did not develop a meow. My big black cat, uh, he's 16, 17 pounds now, and he has the weakest little meow that you'd ever hear. If, if he gets shut in a room or something like that, you can hear him. He'll kind of go meow, meow, but never, never allowed meow. Uh, so it's interesting. Uh, I was thinking the other day about uh, how we talk to our our pets, uh, not just cats, but uh, I've often wondered why the majority of people use some degree of baby talk for their dogs <laughs> and cats. And I'm guilty of that as well. So anyway, uh, I think this cat probably will develop a meow. Okay. Um, you know, I've often heard that <clears throat> cats don't really uh, communicate with each other uh, like they do with us. So I'm always curious, you know, knowing that maybe the cat is meowing or whatever he's doing, you know, because he knows I'm a human. It's, it's always like, well, what exactly is it you're trying to tell me? And I've discovered that, I don't know, nine times out of ten, it's I'm hungry. So uh, I've right. often that's my kind of my first go to is, all right, well, let's go see if you need some more food. They tend to talk more to us than they do to the other cats. You're absolutely right, and probably because we're talking to them a lot of times using the meow. So maybe they're wondering what we're trying to say. But I would say this, yes, food is a big driver for a cat to start talking. That and putting the cat in a carrier and trying to take it to the vet or on a trip. (laughs) That will initiate, in most cases, a pretty good meow reflex. Yeah, it's usually that one that uh, they say sounds like a crying baby, which, again, I've heard that cats use that with humans because they know it kind of gets under our skin or gets our attention, to say the very least. Right. 
Uh, here is another uh, kitten email, and uh, we might have talked about this recently, but it doesn't hurt to kind of go back over it, and it's a kind of a two-part question. First, uh, flea control for kittens. Dr. Major, is that different from an adult cat, and is there natural flea control available? You know, there's probably a host of uh, natural-type uh, uh, medications that people try and use. Some of them repel, some of them. Most of them don't kill the fleas. You're looking at more repelling, and I would have to defer to some of the people that are more holistic or whatever uh, from that standpoint. One of the safest things for kittens uh, is Revolution uh, Puppy Kitten. Uh, It's approved for that four- or five-week-old kitten and uh, certainly can can do do a good job. At the same time, you've got to be careful. You don't want to use any dog products on a cat. Um, that certainly can cause uh, some issues. We see poisoning every year where somebody decides to uh, use a dog product for fleas and ticks on a cat, and usually that ends doesn't end well. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Still several minutes before our next break, and we've got some open phone lines. So if you have a pet question this morning, go ahead and give us a call. The number's one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two. 7464. You can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Kevin, so, it seems, seems like we've had a, I want to say a pandemic, but uh, close to it of, of kittens lately. And of course, this is the uh, remnants of the spring crop, I guess, but we've seen a lot of uh, kittens that either have been found or uh, being um, dropped off, you know, to be adopted, this sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. There are a lot of kittens in the four- and five-, six-week range there. And uh, all I can say is if you can take care of the ones that show up on your front porch, do it. If not, try to solicit some help uh, from someone else. Uh, also would be a good time to remind folks of maybe the responsible thing to do to be uh, to spay and neuter your, your cat. Absolutely, cats and dogs. And uh, it's very important uh, we we will I guess here in Mississippi we're going to always see surplus population of puppies and kittens, uh, but I strongly recommend spaying and neutering. There are programs where you can get financial assistance if you can't afford it, and uh, that can certainly uh, help. But it, it it makes it a lot better if we can conscientiously spay and neuter our pets. All right, uh, we've got another caller. Looks like it might be a wildlife related question, so let's talk to. Aubrey in Batesville. Good morning. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I'm, I'm an over-the-road driver, and I was shoveling some trailers the other day, and I uh, am notorious for stopping and helping turtles across the road if, if it's safe to do so. Um, and stopped and helped this box turtle across, and if you don't put them the same way that they're going, they're going to come back into the road. And I thought that I had put this one... About six hours later, I thought I had put this one back on the wrong side of the road because there was another one. But when I stopped to get this one, it was a different box turtle. And, I mean, they were within five yards of each other and going the same way. Any ideas on that? (laughs) Well, they may have been going to a good source of water. That's uh, just one idea. And um, let's see, could you tell if it was a male or a female? Sometimes the females will be, um, you know, know where there's a good sandy place to dig to lay eggs. They might not want to um, 
nest really close, close together, but they might be looking for a, a kind of a general area. So they might have been going to that some kind of a landmark. Or I no, guess no. it could have been a male following a female. That was Literally. or it's possible. One, uh-huh. one of them was a male and one of them was a female. Yeah. Okay. Well, then know, yes, you, know, you may have seen a male following a female somewhere. One one thing we have to remember the the turtle patterns and everything, ter- uh, box turtle patterns were there long before the road. And some of these uh, box turtles can live fifty plus years. So. Who knows how long they've been going along that same path, you know, to get to the other side of the road. And I appreciate the fact that you do stop and, and help them. Uh, and so many times you see people who literally try to hit the turtle. So yeah. uh, I, I would say that yeah, I'll give you a commendation for trying to take care of them. Well, thank you. I, it's that's a habit I've had for sixty some odd years. So <laughs> I'm I'm right right there with you. I used to make my mother stop when I was a uh, kid. Uh, we lived at Utica and driving to went to Jackson for one reason or another. Uh, almost invariably, there were places where you would see at certain times of the year multiple turtles, m- multiple box turtles, and uh, I, that's I, I'm glad you're doing that. Be well, safe. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, Aubrey, thanks for that call. Let's move on, get a couple more calls in before our next break, and then now we'll go to Robert from Meridian. Good morning, Robert. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, folks. Um, doctor, is it possible that you may have heard of some animal researchers, some uh, animal behavior people who have found in their studies that there are any other animal species besides human beings where the offspring teaches the, the older generation. And the reason that I'm asking, I saw a TV commercial recently about some pet, pet product. And while the mother is saying to her daughter, we need to make an appointment for the, for the vet, the daughter is sitting on the couch with the iPhone or whatever, and <laughs> barely before the mother has finished talking, the daughter has made the appointment. <laughs> and it is yeah. to me, yeah. Here, we humans uniquely have advanced to where our children are teaching us. And I wondered, is there, you know, any awareness in your field of any such? And I've got to stop because my COPD is, I'm running. Well, listen, that's a a, a great observation. And and thinking about it, I've seen that ad as well. Uh, And, of course, uh, anybody over 50 years old or whatever, it's probably a disadvantage with the younger generation simply because they're so adept with the uh, technological things that they have at their disposal or we have at our disposal. In answer to your question, I don't know about that particular study, but uh, most of the animals either learn through observation. I know that uh, dogs and cats can, can observe what another cat does or another dog does and mimic it. Uh, and there are some uh, higher species probably that that do teach their uh, offspring, but uh, there's a lot of uh, natural, what should I say, ability to, to learn uh, even without the adult. But, uh, Libby, you may have some insight into that as well. 
I'll tell you what I was thinking about is uh, uh, years ago, I used to read all the Jane Goodall stuff and uh, about chimpanzees and then also a little bit about research with um, different kinds of more intelligent monkeys, like you say, things with higher intelligence. And every now and then there would be an innovative young animal that would come up with a new twist on something and the older ones would pick up on that. So I guess that would be a similar kind of a thing. And researchers did notice that by observing the behavior of the animals. Uh, like, uh, I remember what you remember the deal about the, the monkeys that one learned to soak in the hot springs and then all the others would go when it was cold weather and soak in the warm springs with the little monkey but one has to kind of figure out things like that and sometimes it's been some kind of a innovative way that they used a twig or something to get food and then um the other animals would all in their group would all do the same thing so i think that in particularly in higher intelligence if a young animal learns a new twist on something the older animals are are perfectly willing to adapt it into how they live their lives. But you that's know, that's a neat thing that he noticed that from the commercial. Uh, really interesting question, Robert. And, you know, let me, the only thing I would say to that was that first little monkey, I'm sure he's like, gosh darn, I had this warm spring all to myself and now everybody else is in here with me too. <laughs> I didn't think about that, Kevin. You might be right. <laughs> all right, we need to take another break. We've got some calls lined up that we'll get to after this break. You can call in with your question or comment this morning. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We've got a guessing game for you during the break. What percentage of U.S. households own pets? Is it 48%, 58%, or 68%? We'll have the answer for you after the break, so stay tuned. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Mavager and Libby Hartfield. It's a pet day, so we're looking for your pet questions. Join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So during the break, we asked the question, what percentage of households in the U.S. are pet owners, 48, 58, or 68? Let's ask uh, Libby and Dr. Major. Libby, what's your guess? Oh, I said 68. All right. Dr. Major, what do you think? I said 68. That is correct. 68% of U.S. households own a pet. So that's 85 million pet owners uh, in the United States. So not surprising. I kind of guessed that as well because I know we love our pets, that's for sure, because Pet Day is always so popular on uh, Creature Comforts. And it looks like the phone lines have filled up. Let's start again. Shelly has called in from Diamond Head. Good morning, Shelly. Go ahead. Good morning. Uh, This is for Dr. Major. I've been taking care of a feral cat for about two and a half years now and he basically has taken up residence on my patio and uh around my neighborhood but um i can't get close enough to pet him much less get him vetted but i do know he is neutered he has a clipped ear and he's a male and um 
anyway, I can I feed him regularly, and I'd really like to know about flea treatment. He seems very healthy, but I just would like to make his life a little bit better. And but I, I can't get close enough to provide a flea application on his skin or put a collar on him. But I thought maybe if there was a pill that I could put in his food. That's you know that gets to be a, a real issue, and of course. Uh, I would love to see you be able to uh, treat this cat like you would any other cat, but don't get hurt. And that, that is, they can, uh, even though he's he's your cat now. Okay, <laughs> you, you've been feeding it's him true. for two years, <laughs> and uh, he he appreciates that. I know. Uh, the real problem is getting close enough to him to uh, to do that. As far as any. Uh, Flea treatment, there is something that uh, certainly could be given in his food, it's called, and, but it doesn't last a long time, but it's very effective for the short term. It kills all the fleas within 24 hours or less. Uh, so certainly that would be something you could do. It's called Capstar, C-A-P-S-T-A-R. And uh, as I said, it, it, in fact, a lot of times if we gave it at the clinic, the fleas would start falling off on the table. It's that quick. And it'll last about 24 hours. As far as long term, I'm not familiar with a, a pill that can be given uh, uh, from the standpoint of uh, taking care of that. There are things, you know, there's a topical for dogs and cats called Brevecto. There's a, the Brevecto is also in a chewable, but it's mm-hmm. not the chewable is not approved for cats. It, the, the topical is. That would be wonderful if you get that on him. It would last for three months. Uh, but, uh, gosh, other well, than periodic treatment with Capstar, I think that would help, but I don't think it would be the total answer. I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for your call, Shelley. Let's uh, move on. And next we've got Marba from Bahalia. Go ahead. You're on the air with us. Yes, I was calling. I have a dog that's constantly digging up my yard and and around the, the sides of the house, um, and he just digs it out and wallow in it and behind the shrubberies, and and I will put things in the place, but he will just dig another place. And I even found him in my hostas, and that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> right. And a dog that's got that habit, it's very difficult to break it. This time of year, especially, they, a lot of the dogs will dig a hole uh, to cool off a little bit, you know, where it probably would be a little bit cooler than uh, lying in the sun for certain. But it sounds like he's got an obsession with digging. And uh, there are different things that people have tried, filling the hole with water, which usually they just get muddy. Uh Some people have tried chicken wire over it, but you said you've tried to put things in it and then uh, the dog goes somewhere else and digs another hole. That's it. So I uh, I would suggest that this is going to be a real problem. Some of our listeners may have a better answer. The only way I could think of to protect your hostas and other plants would be to fence it off. Oh, uh, my. I know where you can't get to it, but uh, that that is a problem. I, I had a uncle uh, who... Had two dogs that dug holes, and he was just about where he couldn't see. And uh, I was always afraid that he would uh, 
you know, trip and fall in one of those holes because they both the dogs love to dig. And um, it's very difficult to break that habit. Mm. What kind of dog is this? What kind of dog is this? Well, he's a mixed breed of, um, it looks like uh, he's part German Shepherd and uh, uh, Pit. Okay, he's a pretty good sized dog. My suggestion yeah. for you, something that you could do, uh, actually get one of the shock collars. Uh, and as you observe him digging, uh, you can adjust that to where he, you don't have to bring him to his knees. What you're trying to do is let him know that that's not good. Uh, they sell those online, or you could find them at a uh, supply store. Uh, but it's a shock collar that fits around his neck, mm-hmm. and it does work in some cases. If he realizes that, hey, I'm not supposed to be digging, every time you see him dig, you hit that, and it gives him a little tiny shock. Uh, okay. Not enough to hurt him, but he knows that, hey, I was doing something wrong. That's the only thing I can come up with right now, unless somebody else has a better better suggestion. Okay. Good luck okay. to you. All right. Well, thank uh, you. Thanks for calling in this morning. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. And next, it's our friend Kathleen from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. Good to hear from you. Oh, good morning. Good morning. I've got two cute little stories for you, real quick. There was a small cat I adopted. Uh, she was about three and a half, four pounds, and that's about as big as she got. So, of course, I named her Tough Stuff. And Tough Stuff had a habit of repeating what I said, and nobody believed me. I kept saying, don't worry, it's all right, baby, all right. And when we go up the stairs, I said, come on, it's all right. And I swear one day she turned around and she went, all right. And, you know, <laughs> my friends wanted to know what I'm drinking, and I said, no. So I made my friend Linda come stand at the foot of the stairs. And when I got her, I said, come on, it's all right. It's all right. And she got up there, and I'd be doggone if the cat didn't say, all right. And uh, Linda says, well, I don't believe it. I said, I didn't either, but you you heard it from the cat's mouth. <laughs> and I had another little cat who just passed away. She was almost 15, named Muffin. And somehow Muffin learned, I always kiss him on the forehead, you know. Was, come here, let me give Mama give you a kiss. And she would put her head down for me to kiss her forehead. So she taught all the other cats. Now, they, they, even the ones I still have, they come up to you and they put their little forehead down for me to kiss them on the forehead. And sometimes it's at the most un- inappropriate or unimportant <laughs> times. You know, here, kiss me. I've got my hand full of chicken. I'm sorry I can't kiss you, you know. And uh, But they do keep you laughing, and they do keep you company. And, Dr. Troy, BB, I've had now six and a half years the cat that I didn't want right. who adopted me. And he's just as home with the little cats as the big ones. So <laughs> you just never know who's going to adopt you. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's great. And that's, those are good stories, I believe you. We've had one or two uh, dogs, especially, that could actually talk. Uh, we had one that would always say, and you may have seen that dog on TV. He's passed away now. But he would say, uh I want my mama. <laughs> it was a Boston Terrier, and they are notorious for making some sounds like like that. Uh, that that was always outstanding when he would say that. I want my mama, and uh, it's it's. I guess a lot of it has to do with what we think we're hearing. Right. But I I believe you. I believe you when you say that that cat was talking to you. That's great. Oh, 
Okay, y'all have a good day. All right, Kathleen, thanks for the call. Uh, let's one, one final call in before our next break, and we're going to talk to Stephen in Boonville. Good morning, Stephen. Go ahead. Good morning. Um, I just thought I'd try to offer uh, a little help to one of your previous callers that was talking about uh, trying to stop a dog from digging. It's, uh, some people may not approve of it, but it's, I mean, it's logical, and it works every time I've ever used it for the same problem. You want to drive rabbits out of your garden? Cayenne pepper. They're not going to continue sniffing that cayenne pepper as soon as they get a little sting from it. They're going to move away from it. If that dog is is uh, consistently digging in the same spot, try some cayenne pepper. They won't continue digging very long. They will be driven away from it, and it's not going to hurt them. And the same thing will chase rabbits out of your garden, too. All right, uh, Stephen. And Dr. Major, that's kind of the same theory as the shock collars. You make something unpleasant, and then they know they're not supposed to be doing that. Absolutely, and it's uh, the cayenne pepper. Always remember to wash your hands and not rub your eyes after you you put it out. But, uh, yeah, cayenne pepper could deter. Uh, And I'm not sure she said that uh, the caller said that, you know, the dog would move on to another place. And it may be a moot point with that dog. Probably wouldn't go back to the same place, but uh, I, I appreciate that call. I hadn't thought about cayenne pepper, but it's great. All right, Stephen, thanks for calling in this morning. Let's go ahead and take our final break of the hour. Today is an all-pet day on Creature Comfort, so Dr. Major has been taking and will still take your pet questions for the rest of the hour. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Wrapping up the show after this break, so stay tuned. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. Join the conversation this morning with a question or comment. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email animals at mpbonline.org. If you missed any of today's program, you can always subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcasting app or search for the MPB Public Media app. We've got a caller on the line on All Pet Day here on Creature Comfort, so it's John in Mobile. Good morning, John. Go ahead. Uh, Good morning, Kevin. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I had a question for Tippy, a little tortie that I took responsibility for last year and paid her vet bills. Um, It's about flea control, and um, I was looking around for affordable flea control, and this stuff, is the boutique prices are just amazing. Uh, this product, you can get three applications for less than $5 in the grocery store. You may know which one it is. It's got an, an orange logo. And uh, before I used it, I went online and looked for reviews about it. And I found, of course, a lot of glowing reviews. But then I found a lot of reviews that said, this product killed my cat or my cat was sick or it gave my cat a chemical burn or something like that. So I still have this product. And um, I'd like to use it. Uh, is 
there any way to render it safe? Because it seems like um, what these uh, bad reviews are telling me is that they have a quality control problem. Could it be mixed with anything to weaken the uh, application? And what would I mix it with to uh, make it usable? That's a difficult question. What what is the active ingredient? Are you where you can tell me that? Uh, yeah, I don't have my glasses, but uh, okay. it's uh, etofenprox, forty percent. Uh, other ingredients, sixty percent. Okay. And um, there's a, another card of these things. I've forgotten. Bought another one. And its ingredients are a little different, but I don't have that particular product in front of me. Yeah. I'm going to have a difficult time telling you how to dilute that and be sure. It may be, and of course, if you look at almost any product nowadays, there are pros and cons. If you go online, uh, I think some of the companies have blogs, and uh, what should I say, in opposition to another product and vice versa. But there may be some merit. I, I'm not familiar with that that particular product, I'll be honest with you, and I'd hesitate telling you to use it. I realize you've bought it, but uh, it it may be one of those that can cause some issues. You know, the standbys that uh, are relatively inexpensive, over-the-counter, uh, Frontline is still a good, a good product. That's the one that's so expensive. It's like uh, $80 for three applications or four applications. Just, uh, I was amazed. From the grocery store? Um, um, I'm I'm sorry, would you repeat that? I said uh, over the counter from the grocery store? Um, You can get the uh, product I'm holding from the grocery store. But But the um, uh, Pet Guard or Pet Armor and Frontline and the others, uh, you get from pet stores. Well, I I didn't realize they were that expensive. A good flea control product is probably going to cost you around twenty twenty five dollars a month. Ooh, twenty five dollars a month. Okay. That's, okay, that's I'm not, getting educated. <laughs> it's, it's not it's not inexpensive, but uh, here's the thing: if you buy it from a reputable source and there's some problem, uh, the the company will stand behind it. That's the best thing I can say. I see. Uh, whereas this other, I'm not sure what it is. It may be perfect for some, but it sounds like there was some difficulty. So. Uh, I'm not trying to tell you to buy the most expensive product, but I'm saying that uh, that may be one of those things where you pay for what you get, okay? Is there any strategy for reducing the cost? Uh, These uh, very expensive home pet meds. Right. Gosh, I would have to say that uh, shop around is the best way I could tell you. Okay. I just... I just really don't know how you would reduce it. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you very much, then. Thank you. Thank All right, uh, John, thanks for your call. My experience with uh, Flea Control has been when I bought sort of the knockoff uh, brand at one of the big box stores, I didn't seem to find it as effective as I've done since I've switched to one of them. I'll say I use the Brevecto. Right. Uh, and it is expensive, but like I say, to me, the the, the how much better it works, uh, in my case at least, it was uh, certainly worth um, the extra the extra money right. and that one lasts for three months yeah which is which is good kevin but, always yeah, there's, there's a lot of products out there that uh, could be uh, uh used and i guess the best thing i could tell the listeners to shop and try to 
try to find a product that suits his budget as well as effective and safe. Kevin, I always like when to hear that uh, people in the building are listening to the program because uh, Shan, Shan, our director of communications, who um, recently got married, so congratulations, um, uh, said she had the same problem with her dog, uh, the chocolate lab from digging uh, in the in the in the garden in the shrubbery, um, and she said she bought some large, heavy concrete blocks and just put them where the dog was digging and that stopped it completely. (laughs) Sounds like a good, good good idea. Uh, looks like we got another caller ready to go on the line. So let's talk to Shelby in Goodman. Good morning. Go ahead. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you guys? Good. Good. I just wanted to respond to the last person who called who was looking for a good alternative to frontline and I have had a lot of success with Ceresto collars, and you can get them for cats and dogs. They last for eight months. They're waterproof. And depending on where you get it from, it's around like 40 to $60. So if you break that down for six months, it's a lot less expensive per month, um, just a little bit more cost up front. So um, that, in my experience, with both cats and dogs of different types, have never had any issues. All right. It seems to be a good product. Thank you for letting us mm-hmm. remind us. Yeah. Thank you. So, Sh- Shelby, tell us the name again. It's called Ceresto. It's made by Bayer. Okay. Ceresto. I think I've seen ads mm-hmm. for that on television. All right. Thanks, mm-hmm. Shelby, for calling in with that yeah, recommendation. No mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> Dr. Major, looks like we got time for one final email. Uh, and it says that my dog is a lab pit mix who loves to p- catch and be thrown to twice a day. So some fetching going on. However, she seems to be constantly licking her legs and paws. She's not limping, uh, but I've seen an ad online that says something could be wrong. Her last checkup was fine. Uh, any thoughts on that? And certainly she could have allergies. Uh, my my large dog will lick into her feet until they're raw sometime, and I'm using a product uh, for allergy that uh, seems to work for her, I have to do it about every six month, six weeks. Excuse me. Uh, there, there's, you know, the vet says she's she's healthy. Uh, of course, I think she's probably referring to that ad by Dr. Marty Becker, which he's trying to sell dog food uh, and products. I think you see that online. Anyway, not not knocking him if he can do it and it helps, but uh, I'm. Thinking this dog probably has allergies. She's out in the grass and everything. They get licking and start to grooming. Uh, need to talk to your vet about something that may help. If she's not damaging the skin or removing the hair, probably there's not anything that needs to be done. So I guess I would have to see if it's excessive. She needs to have it checked out. All right. I do like to remind you that uh, the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science is now open. It opened last Monday. There are some new safety guidelines in place, however. Uh, Masks are required, and you need to get a timed arrival reservation uh, to visit as well. You can get more information on the Museum of Natural Science at 601-576-6000 or go to www.mdwfp.com slash museum. That's it for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned up next. It's AutoCorrect with the lady almond mechanic, Allison Walker. 
We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts. It's only on MPB Think Radio. It's Rachel Martin with NPR's Morning Edition. People have stories about their car, that long summertime family road trip, that hand-me-down first car they got when they turned 16, the first car they bought on their own. And cars can generate other kinds of stories, like the kind you hear on this station. When you donate a vehicle to this station, the proceeds bring you stories from around the world. Here's how to get started. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org.